Amen. What a privilege to worship our triune God. Amen. And that's why we worship him in giving, in singing, and now in the reading of God's word. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. If you need a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. Here at LifeBridge, we believe the Bible is inerrant, sufficient, clear, necessary, and authoritative. And when we read God's word, we hear God speaking to us. And so here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, he says to us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we come and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the salvation of your son and the indwelling presence of your spirit. And Lord, may you apply these words to our hearts as we hear our lead pastor preach to us your word. Lord, we live in an anxious age, and Father, we need your peace, and we're so thankful that it's available to any and all who bow their knee and their lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you are new here this morning, we are in a series going through the book of Philippians, a series we've been calling Joy in the Journey. And uh, we have been in this series for some time now. We have made our way from chapter 1 into chapter 2, chapter 3, and now we are in chapter 4. And this is lesson number 25, and we have just a few more uh, messages left in this series. And I hope it has brought joy to your journey, at least through Jesus Christ. Now this morning, we're going to talk about something that we all struggle with, and that is anxiety. In fact, I'm guessing this past week, every one of us has been anxious about something. I'm pretty sure we worried about something this past week, whether it's about our jobs, whether it's about our health, our finances, perhaps our aging parents, maybe our kids, perhaps the surging inflation, increasing crime, and the list goes on and on and on of the things we worry about because, to be honest with you, we worry about pretty much everything and anything. Anxiety is a universal problem. It's not just a problem here for Americans. It's not just a problem here in this country. It is actually a global universal problem that all human beings at some point have to deal with. And so because it's a universal problem, here is what Paul is saying to us in just stating this problem out front. Notice it in your notes. As believers in Christ, we are still prone to anxious hearts while living in this fallen world. I think you would agree with that by your own experience and also just by the truth of Scripture because Paul is addressing this subject to believers. Now, to be anxious means to feel fear about some future scenario. And so we worry when we imagine the future more times than not in a terrible way. 
Uh, in other words, worry involves imagining the future in a worst-case scenario, and then, if I can say it this way, just freaking out about it. Arthur Roche described anxiety as, and I quote, as a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. And this unwarranted fear leads to unhealthy thoughts and ultimately takes us down a path of what-ifs. And we're familiar with that because these what-ifs leave us trapped in our head and crippled to the point of inaction or sometimes overreaction. And so every Christian here this morning, every Christ follower, every one of us who, who claims to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, whether you're young, whether you're old, or somewhere in between, listen, we are all prone to an anxious heart. We are not exempt from the temptation of anxiety just because we've been redeemed by saving grace in Jesus Christ. One author and pastor put it this way. You will never master this serpent of anxiety. You will never outlive it. You will never be able to outrun it. It comes after you every day, some days more relentlessly than others. You can't tame worry. You have to kill it over and over again. And when you think it's gone for good, it comes back. And the believers here at the Church of Philippi are no different than you and I today. In fact, these believers in this church in Philippi encountered several different sources of distress that still tempt us even today, such as they faced social rejection for following Christ. In fact, their reputations were smeared for advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They faced resistance from a culture that was hostile towards Christ. In fact, Paul had to tell them back in chapter 1 not to be frightened by their opponents. And so that was external, but even within the church, internal, they were dealing with friction in their relationships with one another. We know that because Paul has to address that in chapter 2. He has to tell them, hey, don't look out only for your interests, look out for others. And do so with an attitude of humility, like Christ. And then in chapter 4, as we've already seen, he had to actually call out two people in the church. And tell them, you need to agree in the Lord. And church, help them to reconcile with one another. And then it seems, as we'll get to here in a few Sundays, that they were even worried about their finances. And so Paul reassures them of God's provision. And so these Christians in the church of Philippi in Paul's day, they had plenty to worry about, and we can surely identify with at least some of their sources of anxiety. The problem, though, with anxiety is that it's a thief. It is a grand thief. It steals your joy in the journey. It will rob you of your peace in the Lord. Chuck Swindoll writes, Worries cast shadows on our future. Stubborn anxieties work like petty thieves in the dark corners of our thoughts as they pickpocket our peace and kidnap our joy. Now, since anxiety is a universal problem, the world in which we live is committed to finding a solution. You say, how do you know that, Bruce? Well, all you got to do is go to your laptop, even your phone right now. Don't encourage you to do it right now, but you could. And just Google, and I did this this week in my office, how to overcome anxiety. And if you Google how to overcome anxiety, 
at least when I did it as a search, about 190 million results popped up, all promising some kind of answer, and did so in less than a second. The first result at the top of my list when I Googled this was from Healthline.com. The statement said, eight drug-free ways to battle anxiety. You want to hear what they are? Here's the eight ways to overcome anxiety from Healthline.com. Number one, shout it out. Number two, get moving. Number three, break up with caffeine. Now, I did actually like that one because I like coffee. Number four, give yourself a bedtime. Number five, feel okay saying no. Number six, don't skip meals. Number seven, give yourself an exit strategy. Number eight, live in the moment. Now, with all due respect, listen, those eight steps don't really help you to overcome anxiety. They might distract you from the stuff you're worrying about for a few moments or perhaps even a few days. But once the distraction is over, the anxiety will still be there in your heart and mind. Listen, these steps won't free you from worry. They will not fill you with peace because they ignore God. And so notice again what the Apostle Paul says to us about God's answer to anxiety here in Philippians 4 in these two verses 6 and 7. Look at it again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Perhaps some of you, you're sitting there and you're perhaps thinking already to your mind, well, that's really nice, Bruce. That is, sounds so simplistic, but does it work? After all, the world is trying to come up with all the answers to anxiety. And you just told me that the first one at the top of the Google list doesn't really help you. So how, why would I think this works? Well, first, God's answer to anxiety, it is not simplistic, though it is simple. I'm glad that God's truth is not complicated here in these two verses. These verses are not hard to understand. They may be a little hard to apply at times. And second, God's answer to anxiety, it is needed today more than ever. And and when I say for a second, this is not in your notes. So if you want to take notes, it's not on the screen. You can feel free to take it. But God's answer to anxiety, it is needed today more than ever. Listen, anxiety disorders are now the most common mental health problem in America. Jumping more than 1,200% in the last three decades. The World Mental Health Survey stated that Americans were the most anxious people among the 14 countries that were studied. And what that tells us is that we will win the Olympics when it comes to anxiety and worry. And then third, God's answer, I can say this, God's answer to anxiety, it works. It does work when we apply it in full surrender to the Lord. Because here's part of the problem. We have this thing about us, and I'm guilty just as much as you are, that we like to be in control, or we think we are, of most things in life. We want to be, quote, the general manager of the universe, or at least the universe in which we live. 
And we think we want to run it, call the shots, do it, manipulate how we can people and circumstances within our universe so that we can somehow eliminate or alleviate anxiety. But I think through these two simple verses, God is kind of tapping us on the shoulder and he is saying, listen, I want your resignation from that. I want you to resign from trying to control everything and worrying about everything and being consumed by an anxious heart. And that's the idea of of applying this in full surrender to the Lord. And so let's look at it. Let's break this down, these two verses, at God's answer to anxiety. And the first of which is, number one, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Paul says in verse 6, this is not me making this up. This is God. This is God's word to us. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, this is not an option for Christ followers who are, quote, more mellow than others. Listen, this is a command for every believer in Christ. In fact, the present tense of this command indicates that we must stop what we are all prone to do, and that is to stop worrying. And again, Paul leaves no loopholes here when he says, do not be anxious about what? Anything. And so we, as Christ followers, listen, we need to accept here God's command. We need to embrace it. We need to accept it. We need to believe that this command is even possible as Christ followers, not in our own power, but in the power of God through his Holy Spirit that indwells us. We need to accept God's command that you should not, I should not have a heart that is filled with anxiety. That's not God's plan for your life. In fact, this Greek word that Paul uses here for anxious, it means being divided and pulled in different directions. Warren Wiersbe describes it this way. Our hopes pull us one way and our fears pull us in another. Our understanding of Scripture pulls us this way and our minds and hearts pull us the other way. That's a very apt description of anxiety since anxiety is when your mind is divided between legitimate, genuine concerns and destructive concerns. Concerns that will destroy you. Evidently, These believers at the church of Philippi, they had crossed the line from having genuine concern to being overly concerned and even distressed by their concerns. Now, Paul, Paul understands all this. Paul understands that anxious thoughts naturally explode, multiply in times of trouble and trials when things aren't going right the way we want. But he commands us nonetheless to make a concerted effort to stop our obsession with worrying. After all, Paul, perhaps more than anyone, he knew that worrying doesn't do you any good. As another pastor and author writes, worry strangles your faith, it chokes off your praise, it throttles back your courage, it never builds you up, it only tears you down, and it doesn't help you to get ready for anything in life. If whatever you're worried about happens, worry doesn't prepare you for it. And if it doesn't happen, worry robs you of the joy that it never happened. And Paul, here in Philippians, 
is simply echoing Jesus' own teaching on worry in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I invite you to turn to your Bibles there. Sermon on the Mount, it's in Matthew chapter 6. It's where we're going to look at just for a few minutes here. Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 and 33. So if you have your Bibles, if you don't have one, you're invited to use one of the pew Bibles there. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. And here's what Jesus teaches us about worry. And the very first principle we see here, notice this in your notes, worry indicates a lack of trust in God's kingdom priority for my life. We see this in the very first verse of verse 25 when Jesus says, Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus is basically saying to us, don't let the trinity of the world's cares, that is food, drink, and clothing, consume your life. Why? Because there's a bigger priority for us as Christ followers that we need to focus on. And that is the kingdom of God. Now, it's not that we are indifferent to food and clothing. Listen, we understand that is a necessity for living in this world. But Jesus is saying that is not to be what consumes us. That is not what we seek after. In other words, it's not what we worry about. Jesus says that our priorities should be different than that of unbelievers who seek after all these things. What things? Food, drink, and clothing. And again, the problem isn't that unbelievers, or or in this case, Jesus uses this word, Gentiles, need food and clothing. Of course they do. The problem is that they're making these things their number one priority, and the inevitable result is an anxious heart. But Jesus says life is far more than food and clothing. But what is that more? Jesus answers that for us in verse 33, where he says the more is God's kingdom and his righteousness. That's what we focus on. That's what we seek after. So first of all, Jesus says, worry indicates a lack of trust in God's kingdom priority. Second thing we learn here about Jesus on worry, is that it indicates a lack of trust in God's sovereign providence over my life. Jesus now makes the argument that worry is basically pointless. Why? Because of God's providence or sovereignty. Jesus says in verse 26, look at it. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then Jesus says in verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So the danger here of worry is that it distracts us. It takes our mind away from what's most important here. It distracts us from the evidence that God really does care about us. God values us way more than the birds and flowers. And he will take care of us. But worry distorts this truth and it rests on the lie that God doesn't care about you. 
But remember, God created you. He not only created you, He redeemed you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so He cherishes you and He is passionately devoted to you. So don't believe the lie that God won't take care of you. Look at the evidence that God cares about you. And then Jesus, He he bluntly confronts our misguided self-sufficiency. After all, living in America especially, that's what we think we are. We think we're self-sufficient. We can make this happen, make that not happen. We can manipulate. I don't need to depend on others. I can do it myself. And if I don't need others, I really don't need God. And Jesus confronts that misguided thinking when he says in verse 27, in which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In other words, Jesus is just basically saying worry is pointless. It doesn't change a thing. It has no power to accomplish anything worthwhile. Pastor James Merritt knows it when he says worrying never solved a problem. It never dried a tear. It never lifted a burden. It never removed an os- obstacle. It never made bad things good or good things better. And so the third principle we see from Jesus on worry is that it indicates a lack of trust in God's fatherly provision in my life. Because the line of argument that Jesus makes here is that since God cares for you far more than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, Jesus says in verse 31, therefore, in other words, since this is true, now believe this. Therefore, since God cares for you, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And so Jesus tells us then, beginning in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So remember, your heavenly Father already knows what you truly need in life. And he will provide what you truly need in life as you seek him, as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, in all fairness... I can certainly understand why the unbelieving world would worry. I mean, I understand why unbelievers would be filled with anxiety and have anxious hearts. I mean, I really get it. Because if you don't know God as your heavenly Father, then what else are you going to do? And so it's completely normal then to worry if you don't know God as your Heavenly Father. If you don't live with an anchor of faith in God Almighty, then you're going to drift in a sea of anxiety. That's just normal. But here's the difference. As believers in Jesus Christ, who've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, listen, we do, we know God. And we don't just know him as our creator, we know him as our heavenly father. Therefore, Paul says to us, and this is the basis of why Paul can say this to us here in Philippians chapter 4. He says, don't worry about anything. Why? Because we have a heavenly father who is sovereign over everything. And if... He is sovereign over everything. Then why are you worrying about anything? 
Doesn't make sense, does it? You see, the only reason we would worry about anything when our Heavenly Father is sovereign over everything is because we are assuming something that isn't ours to assume. We're taking something from God that isn't meant to be ours. It's a matter of trust. We trust our Heavenly Father. Which is why Paul says next, don't worry about anything and instead pray about everything. That's number two. And he says it right here so clearly in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So here we learn that the way not to be anxious about anything is to pray about everything. And again, the scope of this command, it is comprehensive. Paul says pray about what? What? What does he tell us to pray about? Everything. So Paul doesn't just tell us to stop worrying. He also tells us to start doing something. Pray. Why? Because God's answer to overcoming an anxious heart is through prayer. So you can either worry or you can pray, but you cannot do both at the same time. Martin Luther said it this way, pray and let God worry. D.A. Carson writes, I have yet to meet a chronic warrior who enjoys an excellent prayer life. Now, when it comes to prayer, in this verse here, Paul actually uses three different words to kind of talk about prayer. And so the first word he uses is prayer, which is a general term for talking with God. And this can happen anywhere at any time. Listen, you can pray when you get up. You can pray when you're laying down in bed. You can pray when you're driving to work. You can pray when you're sitting at your desk. You can pray when you're on the assembly line. You can pray at school. You can pray anywhere in any time. And so when you're tempted to worry, pray to your Heavenly Father. Jesus taught us to begin our prayers back in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 6, verse 9, he said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And when you do that, you know what you're focusing on? You know what you're doing when, you're, when you begin your prayer to our Heavenly Father in this way? You are focusing on God's holiness. You are focusing now on His greatness, His majesty, instead of your concerns. Now, there's a time for that, but not at first. Talk to God. Pray to Him. But He's your Heavenly Father. And focus on Him. Carl Barth said it this way. To begin by praising God for the fact that in this situation, as it is, He is so mightily God. Such a beginning is the end of anxiety. In other words, you understand that I am praying to, yes, my Heavenly Father, but He is the Creator, and He is sovereign, and He is mighty, He is majestic, He is like none other, and He knows my needs. That's who I'm praying to. And so prayer is this general term for talking to God, and then Paul uses this word supplication. It's an urgent petition to meet a need. It's the idea of praying with urgency about whatever issue that it is troubling you. 
In fact, it's interesting, Paul actually used the same word supplication elsewhere in this letter of Philippians when he refers to his prayers for the Philippians and and the Philippians' prayers for him. And since Paul and the Philippians were going through the same struggle, their prayers for each other included these urgent petitions to God to meet their needs. And then Paul uses one last word. He says request. And request is the naming of any specific need. Request is the naming of any specific need. Now, please hear me on this. Actually, hear Paul, because it's request. That's the word he uses. It's not demands. Paul does not say, let your demands be made known to God. Nor does he say, let your ultimatum be made known to God. Yes, you are, you are welcome, you are invited, you are exhorted. You're urged, in fact, to come to God, your Heavenly Father, with your request, but then you lay your request down at the throne of God. You release them, you let them go in full surrender of God's will for your life. Because he might say yes, he might say no, he might say not yet, wait. Either way, let your request, Paul says, be made known to who? Who's he say? To God. Paul is very specific there. In fact, Paul does not say, let your request be made known first to everyone else. Paul says, let your request be made known to God. Why? Because it puts your perspective on God. And yes, God already knows what you need, but in expressing our needs to God, we are acknowledging in prayer total dependence on Him. Now again, what's interesting is that Healthline.com listed eight ways to battle anxiety, but they completely ignored the most important reality in the universe, God. But the entire focus in Paul's approach here in these two verses is on God. And we cannot miss that. In fact, don't miss the condition in which Paul says we are to pray. He gives one qualifier. And that qualifier is that with that little phrase where he says, with thanksgiving. We are to pray with thanksgiving. In other words, here's the reason why. Gratitude or thanksgiving, the heart attitude of gratitude. Gratitude preserves our prayers from going sour with complaint or becoming a list of self-centered demands. Here's the brutal truth. Without thanksgiving, without gratitude in our prayers, most of our praying is spiritualized complaining. Most of our prayer list is nothing more than whining our way through what we didn't get, what we think we really ought to have, and why God's timing, well, he doesn't know better. He should have listened to my timing. And now we're expressing that to him. At the same time, this thanksgiving, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to be happy about hard times in our lives either. But in those hard times, we can still pray with a thankful heart. Listen, we can thank God for overseeing your life, right? 
God, thank you for being sovereign over my life. Thank you for knowing my needs. God, thank you for this. God, thank you for your grace and strength to help me walk through what you're allowing me to go through, even though I don't want it. I know your strength and grace is there for me. Thank you. God, thank you for your perfect will regarding my life in this situation. God, thank you for using these trials in my life right now as tools to to grow me in Christ and to make me more like Jesus. God, thank you for your faithfulness in the past, knowing that you will be faithful to me here in the present. We have much to pray with Thanksgiving, do we not? In fact, it is only when we start praying with thankfulness in every situation that we will begin to stop worrying about anything. So pray with thanksgiving. Pray with a thankful heart. In fact, with this thankful heart, notice this in your notes, cast all your cares on the God who cares for you. In other words, take your specific cares and turn them into specific prayers. That is the idea of that word request petitions. In fact, this is called casting in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where Peter says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And Jesus already proved that he does. This echoes what David wrote in Psalm 55, 22, where he says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So don't carry your cares, cast your cares on the Lord. Now, like many of you, I have a, uh, I have a backpack. This is, I've had this backpack for probably 15 years now. And this is the backpack I use to carry my stuff from home, here to the office, pre-COVID to Starbucks. I haven't been to Starbucks really since COVID started. And, uh, and so this is what I use. I put my laptop in this. I put my, my resource books, study books, commentaries. And so this thing can get quite heavy at times when it is packed down with all the resources in preparing for a, a sermon. And I will sometimes take my work home. Uh, in pre-COVID, I would go to Starbucks a lot of times and study. And this was what I would use. And I'd carry it like this. And, and how many of you guys have a backpack? Anybody? Yeah, see, you guys are familiar with that. You know, you know what that's like. Yeah, I don't know what kind of stuff you put in your backpack. I hate to ask my wife what she puts in hers, but no, that's a different story. She, I'm kidding. She doesn't even have a backpack. So, but you understand what I'm saying. So I, I carry this in. And, uh, but you know what? When I get home with this thing, I do not keep it on my shoulder. If you walked in my house and I had this on my shoulder and I'm sitting at the kitchen table, kind of hunched over, you know, trying to eat my food, you'd be like, my pastor's a moron. What's, what's he doing? Or if you saw him, you came into my house and you saw me, I had my backpack on and, I, and I'm sitting in my chair and it's kind of cumbersome and I'm trying to watch the NBA finals, you'd be like, why are you still carrying that? Pastor, don't you know any better? That's, so that's not what I do, man. Let me tell you, the first thing I do when I get home with this baby, I take it off and I kind of just, I don't throw it on the floor, but I put it on the floor. Then my wife has to ask me, can it go somewhere different? I get rid of it. I cast that thing to the floor. I don't care it anymore. And I do so with Thanksgiving. 
thankful that I don't have to carry it anymore. Listen, that is the idea of what Peter is telling us to do and Paul is telling us to do with cast our cares on the Lord. But what we do when we worry, and this is what some of you guys are doing, your backpack is so full, it is cram-packed of your burdens and your cares. I mean, it is stuffed and it is weighted down and you carry this everywhere you go in life. You never let go of it because you want to be in control. You have yet to surrender to the Lord. And with surrender to the Lord comes surrendering this, releasing this, trusting the Lord and casting this on him. God, this is yours. You take care of it now. I release this to you. I'm not carrying this anymore in my life. Even though you're going to be tempted to. There may be days where you pick it up and then you've got to remind yourself, no, and I'm not going to be anxious about it. I'm going to pray about it. And it's through prayer that we cast. That's the idea that Paul is giving us here. Peter is giving us here. And so to sum it all up, God's answer to anxiety is don't worry about anything and instead pray about everything. And listen, when we do that, When, 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 when we do that, this is glorious. Number three, you can rest in the peace of God. You get a rest in the peace of God. Now, peace is the opposite of anxiety. We have a world full of anxious hearts. And that's why there's one, and that's why people are searching for peace. Because they, they have no peace in their heart. Peace is the opposite of anxiety. In fact, peace is the mark of freedom from, from worry. And this is divine peace. This is God's peace. And it won't forsake you, but it will keep you from the grips of future anxiety. And I love what God's people saying about God in Isaiah 26. 3. He says, you, God, will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Now, notice the divine promise when you pray instead of worry. Paul says it in verse 7. In fact, I just, it's the verse here because I couldn't, you can't do any better than how Paul phrased it. I can't reword this any better. So notice what he says. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How wonderful, how glorious is that? That is what the world is searching for. And this is what believers in Christ get when we don't worry about anything and we pray about everything. And please understand, Paul is not saying here that prayer will keep us from having problems in life. That's not what he's saying. Rather, he's saying once we pray and we cast our cares on the Lord, we now can have God's peace in the midst of those problems in the midst of those circumstances of trials and sufferings and whatever. And Paul says two incredible things. I mean, just off the charts incredible about God's peace in this verse. Notice number one, God's peace, it is a surpassing peace. God's peace is not natural. It's supernatural. Paul says it surpasses all understanding. John MacArthur writes... 
the peace of God transcends intellectual human analysis, human insights, and human understanding. It is superior to human scheming, human devices, and human solutions, since its source is the God whose judgments are unsearchable and whose ways are unfathomable. Wow. Divine peace. It's God's peace. And it is a surpassing peace. And one reason God's peace is so extraordinary is that you can actually have it when it doesn't make any sense to have it. In other words, the peace that you have in this situation, it is mind-boggling to those without Christ. It is mind-boggling to those who do do not know God as their Heavenly Father. It's mind-boggling to your co-workers, to some of your family members. Your friends, they're like, how can you be so calm? I know there's a saying, keep calm and blah, 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 whatever. We're actually living it out. How is that possible? Because as one author put it, believers experience God's peace when it is unexpected in circumstances that make it appear impossible. Paul suffering in prison. The Philippians threatened by quarrels within and by enemies without. So think about it. Why should you have peace when you're in a Roman prison like Paul is under house arrest? It doesn't make any sense unless you're trusting the God who gives this peace. So, while I love massages, I've actually have gone to those places where you get a massage, you lay on the table, and man, they feel great. They are awesome, are they not? I mean, I didn't pay for them. They were giving us gifts to me. Hint, hint. <laughs> and so, while the massages and even medication, they do have their place, listen to me. They will never, 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 never give you this, this type of peace, because this peace that surpasses all understanding, it only comes from God. And then Paul says second thing. He says God's peace is not only surpassing, it is a guarding peace. A guarding peace. Paul says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And this word guard, it's a phenomenal word because it's a military term that refers to a soldier's duty to stand guard over a camp or a prison. And so I just can't help but think, perhaps, as Paul's writing this letter, he's writing this verse, that he just glanced at the soldier that he's chained to when he wrote this. It's almost as if Paul says, it might look like this soldier is guarding me because he's chained to me. But listen, Philippian believers... Listen to LifeBridge believers now. I want you to know that I am being guarded not by this soldier. I am being guarded by God's peace in my life. And God's peace is guarding my heart, what I'm feeling, and it's guarding my mind, what I'm thinking. That's the scenario that Paul paints here. Our hearts and minds are under attack and we need God's protection. When God's peace guards your life, it will protect your heart from wrong feelings. It will protect your mind from wrong thoughts. God's peace will guard your heart from the fear that taints your hope in the Lord. It will guard your mind from the dangerous thoughts that lead you to an anxious heart. And notice that God's peace comes to us in this little phrase that Paul loves to use in Christ. Jesus. 
In other words, it comes to those who are believers in Jesus Christ. God's peace is not for the unbelieving world. Not this kind of peace, anyways. It comes to us in Christ Jesus as we rest in his saving work of redemption. Whoa, blow me away, right? Can you not just sit there and be blown away by two simple verses? And yet they are so powerful and so practical in our lives today. We can sum it all up this way. We enter these two verses in anxiety. And we exit these verses in peace. And in between, what do we have? Prayer. Prayer. So Paul says to us, Here's God's answer to anxiety. Don't worry about anything. Because you've got a heavenly father who is sovereign over everything. Therefore, pray about everything. And when you do that, you now have the opportunity to rest in the peace of God. And so I can't help but wonder, do you have God's peace in your life, right now, this morning? Or is your heart all full of anxiousness, anxiety? Listen, if you're not experiencing God's peace, it could be because of one of two reasons why. One, you're either, you're an unbeliever here this morning, and you do not know yet the God who gives this peace as a gift to his children in Jesus Christ. If that would be you, I invite you, your first step to knowing this peace is to come to the Savior, Jesus Christ. To ask for his forgiveness and accept him and believe in him for your salvation. To receive him as your Savior. So that you can now have the peace of God by being reconciled to a holy God in relationship with him. And then you will begin to experience this peace. But perhaps you are a believer, and I know many of you here already are. You're a believer in Christ, but you are struggling with an anxious heart. And the reason why is because you probably spend more time worrying rather than praying. You see, we grow anxious when we fail to pray. And so the exhortation here this morning to us is to take God at his word. It is to fight. It is to do battle with prayer. It is to fight worry and to battle against anxiety with prayer. And the peace of God will flood your soul. In the words of that old hymn, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry To God, everything in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You know, perhaps that's what we ought to do right now. I think that would be a great idea for us. To actually put this into practice right now, right here, right where we're seated to go to the Lord in prayer. Because I can't help but believe 
that most of us here have something we are tempted to be worrying about, to be anxious about. And so would you cast that to the Lord in prayer now? Would you bow your heads? In this moment of silence, pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are guilty of worry and that we are tired of living in the fear of the unknown. And we ask you to free us from this bondage. Instead of worrying about anything, may your Holy Spirit help us to pray about everything. And we ask for your peace to guard our hearts and minds. We ask you to increase our faith in your promise and presence in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we have the privilege to pray to our Heavenly Father. And as Christ followers, it is a privilege to worship our Heavenly Father in song. And so we, as you know, we begin our service in worship and we now are ending our service in worship through song as well. And I'm going to invite you to do that. As well, And as you stand, I just want to remind you, sign up at the info table to serve, to show Christ at our block party, our community outreach event as you leave. Will you stand and will you sing as our praise team leads? <laughs>